We are New Life Community Church in Rogers Park. A community church in the city of Chicago, all over the city, for the good of the city. Right now, we are in the midst of our series, The Ten Commandments. Bum, bum, bum. A look at the original commandments and how they align with Christ's law. Wherever you're listening, I hope you are blessed by this message. question that every parent dreads. Where did I come from, Mom? So the mother told her son, well, honey, there was this giant bird, okay, with white wings that flew you into our life. And the boy's like, wow, okay, well, where did you come from? Well, you see, that same white bird flew me here as well. The boy's like, what? He's like, mind blown. So he goes, and he asks his grandma, Grandma, where did you come from? She's like, honey, you see there's this big white bird that flew you in, right? So he wanders out kind of in a daze, sees the neighbor kid just sitting on the street, so he sits up and goes up and sits down next to him, and he now says, you know, there hasn't been a normal birth in my family for three generations. <laughs> welcome, welcome, welcome to New Life Community Church, Rogers Park. My name's Galen, I'm a pastor here, one of the pastors here at New Life Community Church. And if you've been joining us at all for the past six weeks, you know what series we're in. It's called... The Ten Commandments. Yes, the Ten Commandments. Only Corinne knows where we're at. Uh, a series, this is a series that goes through one of the most infamous moments in the Bible. It's where you see the, you know, these famous, they're like usually chiseled in stone, is how we see them like pictures-wise. And they were given down to this man from God to tell us as people how he had created us to live. That's the important part. Sometimes we hear the commands from God and we get really kind of angry, like, why is God trying to ruin my life, ruin my fun, keep me from doing what I love? But in fact, if we believe that God created us, then we have to believe that he also had a purpose and a plan for how you're supposed to live, right? Think of it not as like rules to keep you from living your best life, but instead as like an instruction manual on how to live your best life, Right? That's how we want to think about these commandments, and sometimes we get them mixed up and get kind of upset about them, right? Um, and so we talked about quite a few of these guidelines already, and some of them I know people have been squirming in their seats a little bit, been a little hard to talk about, they push your buttons, they're not like a good feeling to be confronted and say, hey, wait, God designed you not to live like the way I'm living, right? And I'm telling this from experience, because... Believe me, whenever I read this book, that's what God usually talks to me about. Oh, wait. Oh, oh, okay, God. So last week we talked about murder, and all of us thought we were good there until we heard the message, and we're like, oh, man. Wait, God says that even if I hate someone or am angry at someone, that's the same as murder in my heart. That's how God views it, right? And we're like, man. So we started talking about that. It was super heavy. Well, I got to tell you, 
this week's going to be even worse, okay? <laughs> so, don't worry, we're going to make it through this together. If you look around, there's like some empty seats. I think people are reading ahead and saw what the man that we're going to talk about today. Like, everybody's like scheduled a vacation for this Sunday. Like, we're going to go camping, we're going to be gone, um, or... You're like, I'm going to watch from home today, <laughs> and all the rest of you didn't read ahead. You're like, still came to service. You are the faithful. Thank you for being here. Um, today's commandment has a lot to do with that story of that little boy named Grant, who came up to his mother and asked where he had come from. That awkward weirdness, that hesitancy that we have to talk about anything that has to do with sex. Because we're talking about the seventh commandment, do not commit adultery. Woo! You're like, now I realize. Gotta use the restroom for a minute and not come back. Right? Go ahead and turn. If you have a Bible with you, uh, we have some printed Bibles. I don't know if we have them out. Do we have, do we have printed Bibles if people want them? Yeah. yeah. So if you want your own Bible, we have extras. We get them to give away. They are free. Like, we give away everything here, right? Mugs, Bibles. Just keep coming. You don't know what we're giving away each week, okay? So if you want one, we will give you one. Just kind of raise your hand. Lena's, like, get, get some out. She'll give you one. Otherwise, you are more than welcome to read it on your phone or tablet or whatever. I mean, that's what I'm doing. So there's no shame. You don't have to have, like, a printed version. It's not, like, the better version of the Bible. Um, we will have it on the screens, too. So, uh, um, the, the Exodus 20, verse 14, this is the seventh commandment in the grouping of ten. It says, you shall not commit adultery. Shall not commit adultery. Like I said, just starting with the scripture gives us a little bit of concern here. Yeah, this is uncomfortable. I mean, this is Pastor Dan, we can go anywhere with this, right? <laughs> like we've had some crazy sermons before. Why is this so uncomfortable for us to talk about? Do you think? Or maybe you're like the random few. You're like, this isn't uncomfortable. We talk about this all the time, right? I mean, why is sex so hard to talk about? Because we're Christians. <laughs> That's probably true. I actually wrote that down. <laughs> kind of taboo, but only in Christian circles. I literally wrote that down. I'm like, man, it's only in Christian circles where you find this kind of weirdness, because if you go anywhere else, it's kind of common language, right? Your co-workers, if they're not Christians, probably talk about sex all the time. Uh, if you have advertisements, like literally billboards, your social media, the, like the ads that are scrolling through, or even the top of taxi cabs, right? Like, everything has sex as its cause of advertisement. Sex on movies and shows we watch. I mean, Christians are comfortable with those. They just want to watch it at home, like in their homes, right? They don't want to, like, talk about it. Um, and this isn't anything new. If you actually read through this book, it's a history of the last about four or 6,000 years, and you see again and again the same obsession with sex. It's not just us or America. People think like America is like gone down the tubes now they're obsessed. No, it's like humanity is obsessed with sex, right? That's the reality. Sex has been such a huge part of the world that even the heroes of the Bible struggled with following this commandment. 
right? The people we look up to the most, like they struggled with this commandment. They struggle to keep their sexual impulses and desires in check. Sex has been a huge part of this world, not only because all of us are here, and just spoiler note, it's not the stork, right? Okay. Uh, if your mom has been telling you that, well, you can have that conversation. More time, or let me tell you a secret. God created sex. Whew. Uh, yeah. It wasn't like God created us without sex and then we discovered this crazy drug that God meant to keep us from. Sex was actually created by God. It was meant to be this beautiful, amazing part of life. But then, oh, don't worry, we got an extra one. You need another one. We have unlimited free mugs, even if you break up. Uh, <laughs> This is like so confrontational, like. Uh, but then, like all the things that God creates, we twist them and have a tendency to use them for evil. And sex, though it's intended for so much good, has definitely been a part of so much pain for so many people. Has definitely been a part of so much pain, that's what I was saying, right? So many people have been sexually abused. Maybe you've experienced sexual abuse. Maybe you struggled with your sexual impulses, keeping them under control for your whole life. Maybe you've had someone you trusted and committed to go back and cheat on you behind your back. Unfortunately, there's so many more ways that it's been abused and twisted. We could spend the whole day just talking about that. But today we're going to focus in on this particular commandment. This particular commandment. And why is it in here? What is the heart behind it? And how can we actually live that way? So, before we talk about the ways that everything is all messed up, let's talk about the way that God intended it to be. So my first question, what is God's way? What is God's way? The first sexual encounter in the Bible is orchestrated and designed by God. He had just created Adam, but then realized it wasn't good for Adam to be alone. So, he creates Eve, a woman. He blesses their relationship, and we see the first marriage. If we look at Genesis 2.24, we see what God has to say about this marriage. It says this, That is why... A man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. This last phrase is important. They become one flesh. There's something special and important about marriage, something spiritual and supernatural about sex. That when it's shared between two people who are married, and committed to each other, something happens in the spiritual world. God appears to start seeing them as one flesh. This phrase means inseparable, together, forever. It's a spiritual and a physical concept. It's not only what God sees, but it is the way he created it to work. Jesus himself says this in Matthew 19, verse 6. They are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, because of this, 
What God has joined together, let no one separate. What is God's way? God's way is commitment and contentment. I mean, that's the way God designed marriage and our sexuality to work. And if you don't believe me, take a look at Ephesians 5. You can read the whole section on your own, but look at this specific part. It says, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. The Apostle Paul quotes the very first marriage. The two become one, right? And says, this is a profound mystery. This is a profound mystery. Even Paul is like, this is beyond me. It's crazy what God does in that marriage commitment. Right? But I'm talking about Christ and the church. That's the crazy part. It says, he says, this is what marriage was supposed to be, committed to each other, one flesh, right? But I'm talking about Christ in the church. Here's what Paul is doing here. He's showing us that marriage was supposed to be by showing us what it's actually like. And Paul compares marriage and the commitment within marriage to the way that Jesus loves the church. Jesus loves the church. This is what Jesus does. He won't give up on her. He won't cheat on her. He won't leave her. He will always love her. He will always save her. He will always be with her. What is God's way? Commitment and contentment. And this is why. It's not the only way that it's not only the way that God designed us to be, it's the way that He is. That's why marriage and sexuality is supposed to be in this way. It's the way God is. He's committed. And he says, it's like, I, the way I am with the church is the way that marriage is supposed to be. Now, a side trail, a lot of people when they hear this commandment ask, what about divorce? What about divorce? Does the Bible allow divorce? What are the circumstances that we're allowed to have divorce? And the Bible actually has two explicit Things that it says from where you can have a divorce, right? It says sexual unfaithfulness. So if you have an affair, you commit adultery. Jesus himself co quotes this in Matthew 19. says, I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another woman commits adultery. The second reason is if your unbelieving spouse wants to leave. Say you get married, you both don't believe in Jesus, but then one of you becomes a Christian, so passionate, another person's like, I want nothing to do with you. The Bible actually says you can let them go. It says, I tell you that anyone who do, oh, sorry, but if the unbeliever leaves, let it be so. The brother or the sister is not bound in such circumstances. God has called us to live in peace. That's the two circumstances that are explicit. Right? That means like very obvious. There's no like questions around. These are the two reasons that God gives for divorce. And I would say even in those, that it's, it, it's, it's under the understanding that it's not really still what God had designed. Right? There's still, like as humans, 
There's still grace. There's still forgiveness. I think it's more along the lines of, is there continual unfaithfulness? Are you, are you continually forgiving, but the person is not repentant? The person is not wanting to come back to the way that God designed us to be, right? This, this, old, this closed marriage. But there's also something that is implicit in the Bible, and this is something that some people have very strong opinions on and different things. But the, what, what about abuse? Say you're in an abusive relationship. What does the Bible say about this? It's actually, I think, very implicit throughout the scriptures. Especially in the idea of one flesh. Where Jesus says we're now one flesh. What does it mean if you're starting to beat your own self up? Or to hurt yourself? Is there any statistic that it was like one in three marriages, one member of, of the couple will have some sort of abuse? Right? Physically, emotionally, um, it will happen. One out of three is what they're saying. I just feel like the problem is as we wrestle through this is sometimes we can use this as a physical abuse where there's been mental, emotional abuse. And you're like, man, you should have left a long time ago because this is obviously not helping. That, that's like where, why I think it's so implicit because it's so hard to discern. And that's why we as a church need to be walking together I mean, if you are experiencing any sort of abuse, I would strongly encourage you to talk with one of us as the pastors. Believe me, we, we, we want to help discern with you if it is the right thing. And we, we don't want you to sit here and say, man, like this is just God's will for me to be stuck in this abusive relationship. And over top of all of these, I believe so much in grace and redemption and reconciliation. And that is the ultimate hope for any relationship is that God's grace can redeem even the worst of sinners. That's a little side note on divorce. So obviously, we can talk more. If some of those spark some questions, one of us at the pastoral team would love to talk with you. So what does this mean? It means God loves it when you are content with where you are. It's a form of trust. This means if you're married, then you're committed to that person and content with that person only. And if you're not married, then you're committed to waiting and content with where God has you right now. This is a crazy thing. None of these states are permanent. God forbid. But if you're married, your spouse could die tomorrow. Right? And then all of a sudden... You're back to being, I mean, you contain your singleness and that reality of your sexuality. Or if you're single, you may be married, but then you may be single again, right? If the person dies or, heaven forbid, something happens, you're like, hold up, let's just take one at a time, please. I would like to start with just getting married, right? Um, God's way is commitment and contentment, whether you're single or married. It's in that state, being committed and being content. It's a problem. We don't like to follow God's way. Number two, what is adultery? What is adultery? This is the dictionary definition. If any of you were to look up adultery, voluntary sexual intercourse between a married person and someone other than that person's current spouse or partner. I mean, that's probably what you thought it was. Choice that someone makes to have sex outside of the person they're currently committed to. I think the most interesting thing about this definition is that it implies you're committed to the person. You're, you're committed to the person, right? 
Think about it. Adultery doesn't mean much unless the other person had in some way thought that you were committed to them and them alone. Right? Following with me? Or you're just feeling so uncomfortable. You're like, man, when is this thing going to be over? It's like just breaking down a little bit of our, our, uh, our uh, inhibitions to talk about some of this stuff. The reason God tells us not to commit adultery is it's because, it's because it goes completely against the way God created us to be. What was the way God created us to be? Commitment and contentment, right? Commitment and contentment with where he has us right now. Here's what I want you to know. Adultery seems to intermingle throughout the whole Bible with this other word. This word we don't use very much. It's called fornication. Right? I feel like it's like kind of like outdated. Uh, actually, if you look in the King James, I think it's in there, the New King James or something, right? We don't really use that word anymore. In fact, actually, the, the Bible now translates, translates it as sexual immorality. If you ever see that, right? This is what the word means. Voluntary sexual intercourse between two unmarried persons or two persons not married to each other. It's kind of like an upper umbrella above adultery, right? Fornication can actually be adultery. Two persons not married to each other. And it can be just sleeping around, just having sex. The reason we don't know this word is because it's like, we kind of get like uncomfortable with it. It's like culturally, we're so okay with it. Right? We're okay with the idea that you can just sleep around. You can just sleep with whoever you want. That's, so we kind of like, I feel like we dim it down a tiny bit actually in the Bible. And check out this verse, Hebrews 13.4. Marriage should be honored by all, and the marriage bed kept pure, for God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. That word is the same word as fornication, right? And I'm telling you from, from me, I was like looking this word up, I'm like, I didn't even know this word was like a thing, right? We don't even use it anymore. We translate everything as sexually immoral now. So when you see sexually immoral, the base idea is the idea of having sex with someone you're not married to. That's the idea. Right? God will judge the adulterer and the fornicator. Notice, both these terms apply back to what in the sentence? The marriage, right? Marriage, right? It's like, hey, marriage should be honored. And if not, you're either committing adultery or fornication. God is telling us this. Unlike the culture around us, maybe what most of us have heard or grown up with and thought recently, God views sex outside of marriage the same way he views adultery. I know this is a wrestling for a lot of people, a lot of, a lot of us. But I'm telling you, I'm reading the scriptures, I'm like, I'm not making this stuff up. This is how God views it. Both of these things break God's heart. Why? 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 Because God really did design sex to be inside of a marriage commitment. Not to ruin our fun, to be a killjoy, because that really is the best. Remember the whole one flesh thing that happened, right? But Pastor G, I need to know if we are sexually compatible. Have you ever thought that or heard that from someone? That's like literally the like argument. We need to know if we are sexually compatible, right? Wait, did God say that? Or did just a friend of yours tell you that, right? Like, oh man, you need to know this about that person. I mean, you've got to be honest with yourself. If you're coming here, we don't come here just to do religious mumbo-jumbo, you know, ha da 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 thing. Like, we 
generally want to listen to God's words and apply them to our lives, even when it's super uncomfortable, like this moment right here. You're all like, ah, right? <laughs> I'm saying, we, we, I don't want to come here every week and just do, do, do the religious things so everybody can check off their boxes. If I see something in the scriptures that is going to challenge the way we live from God's words, then we've got to talk about it, right? We don't get to pick and choose which parts of the Bible we like. Or even which ones we like to talk about. I mean, for, for a while, the church has, right? There's like taboo topics. Sex is one of them, but, I mean, pornography, anything that is kind of sexual, I feel like we're so scared of it, anywhere but here can we talk about it, right? We are so in, in involved in that that we pick and choose. It's either... <laughs> It's either we have to take all of it or, or, or cut it out, right? There was a, you guys heard of Thomas Jefferson? You've seen Hamilton on Disney or something? like Thomas Jefferson, I read a biography about him in school. He actually took the Bible, found the parts he didn't like, and cut them out with scissors. You can see it, on, like Google it. They like, still have the Bible. It's like holes all through it. And he's like, no, like, I don't believe. He used his own reasoning. He said, by my reasoning, I can tell which parts of the Bible Jesus actually said and he cut out, like, I think it was almost like 70% of the Bible, okay? It's like, this is now my Bible, okay? I'm just saying, that's how a lot of us function. I mean, maybe we don't even know what's in there. What's in there. We find out, like, oh, I do need to cut that out, right? But, so some of these things, I know it's hard. I know it's hard for us, and I'm right there with you. I grew up in the same culture. I, I hear the same things. I've worked in tons of different workplaces where you have the same things being yelled at you all day. I'm just saying... That wasn't God's design for you or for me. If you really believe that God is real, that God has created you, and he knows what's best for you, then you've got to take the parts that you really like as well as the parts you are more uncomfortable with. That's the way it works. Otherwise, you're God. Right? You're picking and choosing. That's what Satan tempted Eve with at the beginning. You'll be able to know right and wrong. Now, if you're sitting here and thinking, phew, I've never had sex outside of marriage, or even I've been absent as a single person, at least for a while, whatever, I've got some words from Jesus for you. He always likes to come at us. Uh, Morgan read this for us. It says in verse 27, You have heard that it was said, this is Jesus, you shall not commit adultery. Look at that. There's our command we were looking at today. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So, hold up a second, Jesus. You're saying that if I even look at someone lustfully, I've committed adultery. This goes for both men and women, by the way. You ever walk down the street and you're like... <laughs> right? Like, or ever do a little too much looking on someone's, like, profile pictures, right? Uh, Instagram or Facebook. Or, you know, like we just said, that whole pornography thing. Jesus says any of that is the same as committing adultery. Jesus actually comes at you and he says, all oh, that, that's adultery, that's fornication, that's sexual immorality, and it all happens here in your heart. Now you're all sitting even more uncomfortable. I don't know about this, this seems impossible. Maybe this is you this morning. 
You're struggling, but here's my last question. What is the way back? What is the way back? Let me say this. No matter what you've got going on in your life, no matter how many times you've watched pornography, no matter how many people you've slept with, and no matter how many divorces you've had, it doesn't diminish you in God's eyes as his or her, his, his child. <laughs> his or her joins the <laughs> gender-neutral pronoun for God, I guess. Uh, here's the amazing thing. The whole Bible is a picture of God's grace. There hasn't been a single person throughout this whole book who has lived it perfectly who followed it perfectly, who managed to get it done. Even the very best people messed up, except for one. Jesus. Jesus. Believe me, it's not a scale or a line where you have to like do enough good things to get across it in order to have this relationship with God. It's grace. That means God's forgiveness and love for you despite you not deserving it. That's why Jesus went up on that cross he took all the punishment that we all deserved for all this messed up heart that was going on inside of each of us. And he offered us a new way. A way where Jesus comes and lives inside of us so that we can live the life we never could on our own. Here's the thing. It's not a get-out-of-jail-free card. There's this term, costly grace. This grace is free, but it costs so much. And that changes us. That changes us. It makes a difference because Jesus starts to live inside us and help us to live differently than the things that we struggled with. So maybe the way back is starting to surrender to God all that shame. All that shame that you felt. Maybe a sermon like this can help, can, can make you feel like so ashamed or feel so broken because of past mistakes, current mistakes, things that you're struggling with right now. I want to let you know that God's grace isn't dependent on how long you've been free from some certain sin. God's grace is dependent on Jesus on that cross. And when you believe in Him, He covers and forgives you. It says in 1 John that if you confess your sins, if you confess unto God, He's faithful and just to forgive them. You can count on it. Jesus doesn't lie. If you're feeling that shame, there isn't something you have to do to make up for it. In God's eyes, he's already ready and willing to forgive you through the blood of Jesus. All it takes is just believing that what he has done is enough. On top of that, maybe you need to open up to someone about what you're struggling with. Find someone you can talk with who can hold you accountable. It's also what God intended. We talked about this. That's the point of the church. People you can be open with. You can share what's going on. At least you can talk to a pastor. Someone that, that isn't going to drag you through the street or come and march you up front and announce on, on Sunday what's going on. Instead, this is a hospital full of broken people where the pastors are broken people too. Right? And we help lift each other up. Maybe it takes that. It takes being open and finding accountability and Finally, I think it would be helpful for us to redefine love in a world where love is just something that is like a feeling or an emotion or an act. I think that if we can look at what God defines love as, it would change us. 
Love isn't just a feeling. It may be something of that. It's not a sexual experience. It may be something that love is a commitment despite all or none of those things. And the greatest way I know that is because that's what Jesus has done for us. We definitely didn't give him the warm fuzzies every time we go and do something bad, right? But Jesus doesn't give up on us. We definitely don't make him uh, super proud of our acts when we choose sin over him. But his love doesn't go away. He's committed to loving us as a choice. And I think if we redefine love as that, it will change the way we view marriage, sex, and especially the command not to commit adultery. We justify, we come up with all the excuses in our heads about why, whatever it is. Whether you're single and you're struggling with, with, with sex, right, or pornography, or whether you're married and you're struggling with sex or pornography, it doesn't change, right? But God's grace is able to sustain you, to bring healing, to bring you back to the way it was meant to be. And we can't, with none of these commands can we end without that. That's the answer. It's Jesus. Jesus is the only one that can heal the brokenness inside of us, can help us live the way that we are supposed to. So I know this is a tough topic to talk about. I know it like brings up maybe a lot of thoughts, a lot of feelings, a lot of emotions, a lot of baggage that we have. So I want to invite you just to come and pray with me. Brooks in the back. We would love to just pray over you if you're struggling at all with any of this. Shame, it can be certain things that you're doing in your life right now, or even just, man, I don't even know what to think about this. We definitely want to pray over you to be here with you. We are a church, as we talked about, we, we, we try to be involved. We try to be involved in each other's lives to know what's going on. We believe truly that's what the church is meant to be. Far more than a Sunday feel good service, go home and live your life how you want, right? We really believe we were meant to be a community following God. And Jesus set the way. And he's going to sustain and encourage us and allow us to walk that. So if you close your eyes with me, let me just pray over you as well as anyone listening. Lord Jesus, we recognize that we are broken. We recognize that we are sinners, that we don't follow this perfectly. Our thoughts can be sinful. Our hearts can be sinful. God, our hands can be sinful. God, I pray that over our church, God, that you would lift up and encourage us. <laughs> that your grace is more. I pray for anyone listening this morning, hunting live, sitting here, if you are burdened by shame, I pray, Jesus, your grace would overflow them. That they would be able to surrender their sin to you. They would be able to accept your forgiveness. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you would empower them to live differently. To open up to someone. To find accountability. God, I pray your grace would not only cover our church so we know we're forgiven, but help us to live as a light in this community. Bring healing, God, to those of us who are broken area. <laughs> Probably all of us, God. Restore and strengthen and build up. Thank you, Jesus, for this time. We pray this in your name.
You have been listening to New Life Community Church in Rogers Park. If you have been blessed by this message, please let us know. Now go and live a new life.